for planners. Crypto for planners. Crypto for planners. Crypto for planners. Welcome to Crypto for Planners. I am Steve Larson, and with me is Adam Blumberg. And today we are going to cover what's going on with the banks and in the economy. Adam, how are you feeling about everything that's going on right now? Oh, man, you know, Steve, I am uh, feeling okay considering, you know, kind of teetering on the brink of uh, financial collapse. But every, <laughs> other is, that, that, uh, is that the economy or are you personally that's uh, on the brink of collapse? Uh, the, the answer to that is yes. It is, <laughs> it, it is actually both. Uh, both are kind of teetering right now, but that's okay. It, it's yeah. where we are and, and uh, you know, you and I are here to chat about it. Yeah, we are. So what we're not going to do today is really give you a, a thorough recap of what happened. That's already been done much better um, by better journalistic outlets than Adam and I talking on a Zoom. However, uh, for those of you that need to be brought up to speed, there were three major bank failures here in the last several weeks. They were all coincidentally crypto related for various reasons that we may get into. And so really, we want to cover what's going on. Obviously, it's spread into some concern over a uh, bigger contagion that's going on. Uh, but we really want to talk about what's going on with these three banks and how it might affect advisors. Right. And so, the, well, important important note there is, is the middle bank in there, right? Silicon Valley Bank um, was actually not much of a crypto bank. It was, it was a tech-centered bank. It was created, you know, to basically to service those companies that were getting VC funding, in you know mainly in the Silicon Valley area at first, but really those those companies that were getting VC funding in the tech arena, uh, and so they were actually notoriously not a crypto bank. They did not like banking crypto related companies. They liked banking kind of Web two related companies, fintech those kind. Um, so that the the middle of the three banks was really not a uh, crypto related. And remember, the first one wasn't a wasn't a total failure. It was a bank that just wound down operations because they said we're not going to have enough money. If we don't wind down now, and they gave, uh, uh, and that's Silvergate I'm referring to, they gave everyone their money back. So again, I know we're not trying to recap everything, but when we we see headlines, and this this is how it affects advisors, right? Your clients see headlines about bank failures and bailouts and everything, and that's really not what we're seeing here. We didn't have a full on failure from Silvergate. They wound down operations because, and we can go into the the fact that they were um, they had a, a you know, a loan from the federal uh, home loan bank kind of yeah. pulled out from under them, but they gave everyone that gave all their deposits or depositors their money back and got rid of operations. Um, and with Silicon Valley bank, it was just a, a run on the bank that didn't really need to be there. And then with, with uh, signature bank in New York, that one's kind of up in the air. We still don't know. We, we still don't know. They're, they're, the Fed is calling it a, a failure and we had to take it over. And I'm a little leery of that. Yeah, it was shut down via press release, it, it, it would appear, without much more of a formal process. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's one of those things like if you're a baseball player and you find out you got traded because someone sends you a tweet or something. <laughs> it was kind of like that. Very very similar. I, you know, I know that that I had some thoughts on it over the weekend and I think you may have summed it up in a, in a tweet. It was something to the effect of, is this the dumbest bank run of all time? Yep, that sounds about right. It, it was an incredibly dumb, it, it was, you know, and, and what you and I, what I kind of intimated to you earlier today, and I think I said it on Twitter is so many people that I don't know, there are so many people that I know. And, you know, I'm 
I'm relatively privileged, right? I have people, you know, all my friends have, have gone to college and they're doctors and lawyers and, and in business and such. They still don't understand how fractional banking works. Yeah. And they don't understand the, the inverse relationship between interest rates and bond prices and, and how that works. So when they start reading headlines, and these people are your clients, right? They're, they're the clients of advisors in, in Planner Dow, they're the clients of advisors we talk to. They're reading these headlines going, oh my gosh, there's a banking crisis. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, there's really not a, I, I don't understand what the crisis is. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. That, that's the trouble. But but it's one of those things on as a bank run starts, once it starts, it, it just keeps going. It's kind of self-perpetuating. Mm-hmm. Ends up being a crisis of confidence more than more than anything. And, and let's let's move over to that. Let's move into how it, it, it does affect advisors and how a potential change in the macro environment is going to affect uh, affect practices. So. Uh, for example, yesterday, uh, so we met with at my RA, we met with the team on Sunday. Um, we decided to get something out to the clients on Monday just because there was so much bad information and, and so many uh, scare tactic headlines. Um, as you know, I'm not a big Twitter person, but I, I made the mistake of getting on there for you know about 20 minutes and I, that I thought the world was collapsing. I, then I remembered why I stay off of there. Um, but what, 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 we, what we did, so we put, it, we put on a webinar for our clients, and really the focus was, of course, here's what's going on. But we spent a lot of time going through um, basically the different types of accounts. So you mentioned how people don't understand fractional reserve banking. Well, we, we wanted them to understand what a bank account is, you know, how they don't have all the deposits on hand to cover the clients. Um, and also the FDIC insurance that's tied to that. What does that mean? And then over on the brokerage side, that's not fractional reserve. So they're supposed to be your assets that aren't loaned out or borrowed against or anything else. Now, whether that's the case, that's a different story, but that's at least theoretically how it works. And then there is um, SIPC, SIPC insurance on that and how that works. So that's kind of that's kind of where we started uh, at our firm. Yeah, and, and that's a, a great place to start for any advisor is to just kind of help your clients understand, and then you can, you, you can move forward from there. And once they have a better understanding, then you can move forward and go, all right, let, let's, we can talk individually with all of you about where your accounts sit, what kind of risks there are in those accounts, because that's your job as the advisor is to, to know about these things and, that, and then to help them through. So that's a good place to start is not to go, is not to go full on Twitter, you know, all caps, this has to stop, or you have to hate the government or everything's falling. But let me just explain to you how all these work. And then if you need to come talk to us, but which I'm, you probably did. If you need to come talk to us about it, you yeah. can schedule an appointment and we'll talk about your different accounts, whether they're at banks, whether they're at brokerage accounts, wherever, and what they mean, what kind of risks there are, um, whose money it is officially. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, let's have those discussions. And, and as I said, most people don't understand how all that works. So if you just explain it to it and your job as the advisor is the first is, is that first line of education, then that's a good place to start. Yep. Now, now what if people, you know, now what if clients started with where I started with, right? Like there's a run on crypto banks. They're after the crypto banks. This is about crypto and it's not about crypto at the same time. So that gets a, that gets a little more confusing as far as the bank fundamentals. I certainly don't think so. But as far as the crypto banks being targeted, Yes. So where, where, do you, where do you think crypto, as it relates to advisors, fits into this scenario here? Uh, so the hard part is, you know, as we've seen, it, it very much seems like the crypto-related banks are being targeted by the government, 
right? And, and there's plenty of stuff to read. There's plenty of stuff that is conspiracy theory and some of it that is probably not at all conspiracy theory that is the crypto banks or, or the crypto industry, I guess, is being targeted. And one way you target that is you go after the banks that are banking the actual companies uh, and those companies being exchanges, those companies being, you know, like Circle, which offers USDC or US dollar coin. Uh, you start targeting those banks and saying you're no longer allowed to exist. And therefore, all your depositors have to get their money back and they got to go find another bank. And eventually, crypto companies run out of banks, run out of places that, that they can hold their money. So where it affects, where it comes down to affecting clients is you go, all right, what is, what do we feel is the U.S. government's um, attitude towards crypto? It's obviously this current administration is negative, is a negative attitude towards crypto. Where does that affect um, then where does it affect your investments in crypto prices? Well, kind of what we saw is, is prices went down for a little while in, in terms of Bitcoin and ETH and the other crypto assets, and then they have taken off the last few days. Now, whether that's because the, the tough part to know is, is that because the government, quote, averted a banking crisis and we're all happy that we're not all losing our money, or is it because we're starting to realize the cracks in the banking system and the cracks in the financial system and go, Oh, maybe this is this, this is part of the solution. And therefore there's going to be more usage of Bitcoin and usage of Ethereum. And, yeah. and it could be a combination. And it makes you wonder, are, are we shifting from an attitude where, Hey, the government's coming after crypto, crypto's in trouble to, Hey, the government's coming after crypto, crypto super important. You know, because really they know they're not just coming after crypto, they're coming after your economic freedom. And now it's more important. And that's certainly the optimistic take, but I think it, it warrants watching. As the government goes harder, does does the adoption increase and the price increase because of that? Right, exactly. And, and we can go that route, which is kind of the conspiracy theory route, which I don't feel is very conspiracy theory anymore. I think it's pretty, they've made it pretty obvious, but... If the route is, I don't like the fact that I'm subject to what, what happens with the banks and therefore I'm subject to what happens with the central bank and the Fed, there's a way to opt out of that. It doesn't have to be with everything, but with some of your money, there are ways to opt out. And the way you opt out is you hold on to your assets. And that's exactly what crypto is. It's I'm going to take care of my own assets. So it could be, I'm worried that the government's going to have full you know, purview over everything I do and, and full visibility into everything that, that I spend my money on. Or it's, I'm not so much as worried about that, but I kind of want to have some of my assets where I have full control over them. And that's what the education for clients, right? About how fractional reserve banking works and about how your accounts work is once you've handed the money over to the bank, it, you're kind of not in full control. And if you want to have this full control, once you understand that, you go, and, and they're probably going to go, all right, how do I, how do I get control of my assets? Well, that's kind of what the crypto system is building. It does have a lot of warts right now. It's not the easiest user experience, all of those things, which are getting better. But at least for advisors, you kind of see now why there's a need for it. And maybe now is the time to start learning about it. And we're going to, you know, totally self, uh, you know, self-promotion here, but this is, that's kind of what we're trying to do here, but this yeah. maybe is the time to learn about it because maybe now the system, it, it makes a little more, more sense. And even if you weren't behind some of the speculation behind the price of Bitcoin, now you kind of go, oh, well, I see where the idea of custodying my own assets or my clients wanting to custody their own assets kind of mm -hmm. makes sense. 
this is a system that does that. Mm-hmm. That's that, that's well said. Um, and one of the practical effects, uh, you know, on, on the RA firm was the, the switching of the banking partners. So obviously getting money on and off uh, in and out of the accounts. My firm's at, at Gemini Vitria. And and so, you know, they they were processing wires through Silvergate, you know, and then it then it changed. And then now I think it's uh, JP Morgan or something. Don't, don't quote me on who they switched to. But and again, um, and I know another great uh, great provider in the space for advisors that, again, uh, they've been fine through all this. He's a great custodian, but they've had to redo the banking provider and the on and on off and on a couple of times. And it's just been a pain in the butt. So it wasn't any funds at risk, but certainly operationally and logistically getting money on and off was affected throughout this. And Adam, let me use that to transition into the last thing we want to talk about, which is what does this mean for DeFi and self-custody that you mentioned? And I use those to link it because the choke point in both places is the on-ramping. It's getting money out of your bank into crypto. And that's that's the first thing that needs to be tackled if we're going to really go any direction, but specifically into DeFi. Um, where, where it leaves DeFi is, it, it's hard because you're right. The on and off ramps are the, the tough part. We still pay for most of our stuff in dollars. We still mostly get paid in dollars, whether it's your, your business, whether you're an employee, whatever, you generally get paid in dollars. And you, at some point, if you want to participate in the DeFi system, have to convert that into crypto. So uh, I think it leaves us, honestly, in some tough points. Uh, Coinbase is still, you know, kind of the biggest on-off ramp here in the U.S. And it's going to be really tough for the the government to put a clamp on Coinbase because they're a publicly traded company, because everything's really pretty transparent. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, at some point, you, you can't just basically snuff out an entire publicly traded company. Yeah. So I, I think that's, you know, Coinbase is still there and, and going a little bit further into where it sits with DeFi, the things that Coinbase released in the last few weeks, right, which is their uh, base, which is their layer two on top of Ethereum, mm-hmm. uh, their wallet as a service uh, product code, whatever it is that's coming out, the, which is basically now I'm going to have this on-ramp on a Coinbase and then probably more easily trans move that into DeFi on chain as we as we say it. Um, yeah. I think that's th- those are pretty important and the fact that Coinbase is still there and, and Coinbase is, is moving these things forward, not to be like an advertisement for Coinbase, but again, being a publicly traded company um, yeah. and, and having the relationships they have and having the amount of money they have, they are they're kind of the the I don't know the, the bellwether right now. They're they're kind of what yeah. we're all looking for as for as far as the on and off ramps. And then you get into DeFi. That's probably the on off ramp. Eventually, we probably see us more of earning money on chain. Meaning, I'm going to earn in crypto. I'm going to get paid from my company's wallet to my wallet, or my company's you know crypto account to my crypto account. There is probably going to be more of that, and more of that you know UX is being built, and more of those products are being built. And again, as the advisors. It's going to be kind of incumbent to understand how all that works. If my client's getting paid in crypto, I better understand what that means and, and how to take on those risks. Because honestly, before last week, would you have even thought about the risk, the, the, the risks inherent in your bank accounts at federally chartered banks? No, no, I wouldn't have. And I, I don't think most people were. We, you know, and, and, and part of, like I mentioned, the education we did for clients was, hey, within your Schwab account here, we can we can put it at CDs at 10 different banks if we need to. We can get it diversified out. We can stand with these limits because even though it's unlikely, it's still, why not? Like, why wouldn't we be 
more safe than not in, in doing that. And you bring up a good point about Coinbase. They are they are aligned with us um, as much as possible with people who want crypto to succeed because they're not a fractional reserve bank. And they do segregate assets and they are regulated and they're kind of the best of all worlds. And, uh, you know, to, to somebody like Gemini's credit, so are they, except, right, they were going out, they were trying to generate yield from a black box and got in trouble with the urine product and all that. But as, but as, as far as... Um, you know, segregating the customer's assets, specifically on the institutional side, they, they do it as well. Um, but but that that's looking more and more attractive by the day, right? At least have your assets in an institution uh, where they can't lend them out or chop them up or pool them together. Exactly. And as the advisor, having to do some of that due diligence, right, on not only the custodian you're, you're using for your clients for crypto, but on who they do business with, who their banks are. Like where, like if you keep going down the line, where are the risks further and further down the line? And you might, you know, as the advisor, throw your hands up and go, well, I, don't, I just don't want to get into this crypto thing. I'll just stick to traditional assets. Well, look, banks got hit, right? Like who, who's to say there's not a, a run on, you know, some other bank? Who's to say there, there's not more that's being um, created, more that we're going to see in the near future? Uh, you, you know, I, I think, I don't know if we've mentioned Fidelity, there's Fidelity as a custodian, there's Fidelity as a bank as well, right? So everyone's going to be impacted by what happens next with what the, the Fed does and, and what the federal government and central bank do with, with, with banks, because they're all, our, all of our money is so intertwined. So it's yeah. an important wake up call to go, all right, it's time to start doing a little bit of risk management, a little bit of due diligence, more so than we did in the past where we just said, we totally trust that the government has it under control and go, all right, we need to find out where those risk points are. And going back to the idea of Gemini and Coinbase, like, okay, we need to do that, that, mm -hmm. that kind of risk assessment and due diligence as advisors, just like you need to on all of your custodians. Yep. And Fidelity is a, a great bridge between the two worlds, right? They are legitimate crypto custodian. Um, and they're obviously, you know, a, a top two, three, four legit traditional custodian for advisors. And they're, they're in both worlds for sure. And there's somebody again, that can serve as a great on-ramp between the two worlds and they're not doing a whole lot of it now. And the reason is because of this regulatory uncertainty and the attacks that they see Coinbase taken that these banks are taken and who knows what's going on behind the scenes there. But um, yeah. At some point, we're going to need these larger companies who understand both worlds to to step up, to step up and, and fight for crypto, hopefully. Yeah. And, and, and I think they will. And if we could go back a, a little bit, I, I think, and, and I apologize for continuing to go back, but where we started this conversation a little bit is what is the, what is the impact um, on these, quote, crypto banks or these banks that were happy to, to bank crypto companies getting shut down and advisors talking to clients in, in this feeling of, oh my gosh, the government's trying to shut down crypto. There's no more banks. Well, you, you just mentioned Fidelity is a pretty large traditional finance bank, a pretty large traditional finance custodian, and a pretty large crypto custodian and is, is getting bigger every day and delving into that a little bit more. Um, Chase, I mean, as much as Jamie Dimon talks badly about crypto, they still do quite a lot of banking for crypto companies. And let's not forget, you know, Bank of New York Mellon, which is maybe the largest custodian in the world is, is the, the, you know, they're the custodian of choice for a lot of huge crypto hedge funds and banks. And I don't feel like, and I don't, I don't want to make 
assertions, but those companies aren't going down anytime soon. Those are not banks that are going to fail anytime soon because they're the too big to fail banks. Yeah. Right. And they're all full on into crypto. They're not backing away at all. They're custodying assets or custodying digital assets, traditional assets. They're mixed. So it, I don't want there to be this feeling of, oh my gosh, they shut, they shut down Silvergate and Signature. It's all done because there are much larger banks than those two that are perfectly happy delving into crypto. Yeah, I, I think my overall take, and it's, it's a topic for a whole other podcast, but it's not that they're trying to kill crypto, it's that they're trying to control crypto. And these are smaller, more independent banks um, who maybe don't have the revolving doors of people moving from the board of directors and general counsel through the treasury department back to the banks like the bigger ones um, where, where they do have control. So I, I would say it's more of a more of a wanting it under their thumb than a let's kill it all together type of uh, attitude coming out of the government. Yep. Yeah, I agree. You're right. It's more of a control. How can we control it than kill it? And and if we need to tamp it down a little bit till we figure out how to get control, that's probably where we are at this point. Um, but but again, there's plenty of business to go around. There's plenty of building that's going on in, in the crypto world. And we're seeing every day more needs for solutions like this, not to totally take over the traditional finance system and, and kick it out of the way. But you see a little bit here and there as to how I can I, I can take on some of that uh, custody and take off some, take on some of the things that crypto gives us the transparency, the instant settlement, the the self custody. Yep, great summary. So let's go ahead and wrap it up there. It's enough bank talk that I think anybody should be subjected to in one sitting. Uh, hopefully, there's some value there for you. Let's end with a pitch. You're going to hear from us a couple times. The pitch is to go to Crossroads. Crossroads 23, the Planetel Conference in St. Louis, last week of April, Monday through Monday, Tuesday. Is it 24th, 25th? I should have had that up, something like that. Yes, 20, 24th and 25th. In St. Okay. Louis, come get your tickets. And most importantly, Adam, maybe people don't understand the speaker lineup we have, and that's why they're not buying tickets. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure. Like, it's a pretty killer speaker lineup. So you and I have talked about banks and compliance and regulation and stuff. So we have Commissioner Hester Peirce is leading off our conference. So we're going to get to ask an SEC commissioner, you know, have her talk about what's happening with compliance and regulation for the SEC, which is pretty important to us as advisors. And we're going to get to ask questions. Uh, among the, you know, after that, we have Matt Hogan from Bitwise who's going to talk about the state of the market. We're going to have a compliance panel with compliance attorneys and compliance officers, where again, it's all discussions. You get to ask questions. And if you're an advisor that's into crypto or wants to be in two days, you're going to get just about everything answered that you want. We're going to have Tyrone Ross and the 401 Financial Crew that's going to talk about how they're building kind of the RIA of the future using certain tools, some crypto, some not crypto, some are just Web2 and, and um, yeah. kind of new tools that are out there. So uh, there are so many others. We're going to talk about data and research and where you get your information and indexes and, and all of that. But it is an absolutely killer lineup for any, it's very focused on advisors wanting to add crypto to their practice. Yep. Hit uh, plannerdow.com slash crossroads and you can get the details on time and date, hotel, and buy your tickets. We are using NFTs for tickets. We'll try to get sidetracked explaining that, but no, you don't have to pay with crypto. Yes, even though we're doing NFT tickets, you can pay with your credit card specifically and hopefully your company's credit card. It makes it a lot easier on everybody. Yeah. All right. Adam, thanks for uh, jumping on the podcast with me. Hope there was some value there. All right. Hope so. Thanks for having me. Awesome. All right, everybody. Have a great day and we'll talk to you next time.